did an awesome job, but we're looking forward to seeing some pictures and some stories of how God blessed uh, on their trip, and they were able to minister to people who wanted a place where they could worship Jesus together. Also, I just wanted to be sure you knew, near the end of the service today, they will be baptizing a few people. It'll be kind of incorporated into the sermon. So if you see people getting up and leaving somewhere in the middle of my sermon, don't think that bacon is on and you're running out the door or something. And, and don't follow them because the sermon won't be quite over, but they're going to get baptized as a part of the, what we're doing today. So, so hang in there at the end of the message. And then... Also, in two weeks is Easter Sunday, and uh, so we're looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, uh, two services, of course, 8.30 and 10.30, so I want to encourage you to come. It's going to be a great service. We've uh, been praying for this service and believing God to, to speak to our hearts on that Sunday morning, and so I want to invite you to come and uh, bring someone with you. I know that uh, the Lord will... Uh, that day minister life to some people. So we look forward to that. We are right now, today, beginning a new series called At the Cross. And uh, when we talk about At the Cross, there is no more significant event in the history of this planet. You could seriously say in all of the, the time that creation has happened... There is no more significant event than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. When you think about some of the significant things in, in world history, even if we just kind of went to somewhat modern history, if we talked about the Revolutionary War and the establishing of the United States, if we talk about uh, World War II and some of the things that came out of that, if we talk about uh, the invention of electricity, or the invention of the wheel, for that matter. Some, some things that significantly impact uh, our, our uh, world. The iPad, there's one, significantly impacting, by the way, my sermon's on it. So right there, uh, the, the iPad, all the different things that, that have happened in this world to significantly affect our world the most important, the most significant events is the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The reason for that is, is because regardless of, of uh, Martin, you're just absolutely a delight. Back there, stand up, Martin. You, you, I, I can't even hardly go on any further to you. Absolute delight. The cat in the hat sitting back there, ready for, for this green day. I love it, Martin. I wish I had that. I'd preach in that. No, 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 no. I ain't not going to wear it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, uh, see, now where was I? Most significant, significant event. The reason is because, like, unlike any other event... The cross and the resurrection of Jesus affects not only history past, but it affects the present, it affects the future, and it affects eternity. Nothing else, anywhere, anything in history, any of the great things that have occurred, or even the powerful negative things that have occurred, nothing affects the whole of the ages like the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. 
So we're going to be talking about at the cross. And we're going to talk about over these next three weeks, three different individuals whose lives were impacted at the cross and how it affected their life for good and how it also then translates to your life and to mine. And when we talk about at the cross, today we're going to talk about Peter and the events of, that affected Peter's life at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, if you think about Peter, Peter had made a pretty bold statement. Peter had said very clearly in, to, to Jesus, Matthew 26, verse 33, in the New Living Translation, even if everyone else desert, deserts you, I will never desert you. Even if everybody else does, not me, Jesus, I'll be there. Now, he said that in response to some things Jesus had said. And, and it was pretty bold what he was saying. But Jesus, having heard him, said, no, it's not going to be like that, Peter. You are going to, to desert me too. You're going to deny me. In fact, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And uh, Peter learns a pretty tough lesson. The lesson is this. And it translates really to all of us as well. And that is this, that Peter got so focused on his failures from the past that he was having a hard time seeing his way forward to the future that God had for him. Somehow all the failure and regret really began to just eat away at him. And it was tough for him to see his way forward for a season. I want you to watch this video with me. It comes out of The Passion. How many saw the movie The Passion? How many did not see that movie? Where, uh, that some of you didn't? How, how many did not see it? Lift your hand up real high. Let's see how many. Okay, so you're going to be jumping kind of into to it a little bit here. The Passion, of course, was that Mel Gibson movie that was actually the... the, the uh, uh, guys that are in it are speaking in Aramaic, so they have you have to read the the subscripts or whatever you call that. To what do you call it? Subtitles, subtitles subscripts. The writing at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> you have to read that. And uh, uh, this is a place in which Jesus has. It's it's a little bit brutal, but it's not as much as the the actual crucifixion. But Jesus has been arrested, and he's getting pretty severely beat. And then Peter is being confronted, and people are saying, aren't you one of those guys? And uh, how that impacted his life. It's about three minutes. Watch this little video behind me.
When everybody else deserted him, Peter was not going to. And yet he did. He failed Jesus according to what he had said. Have you ever had anything? Do you, do you have any regrets in your life? If you, if you have ever done anything or if you have uh, and, and didn't, didn't follow through on it or, or if you, you, you ever done anything that you wished you hadn't, or if you have ever said anything that you wished you hadn't said. Or if you didn't say something and you wished you would have. Or you didn't do anything and you wished you would have. And, and now you've got regrets. So you, you didn't do or you did do and you wished it was the opposite of that. So you, now you regret. Lift your hand. How, who here has any regrets? Now lift them up high. Keep them up high and look around. Now, if you look around, we are a very regretful group, aren't we? We, we got regrets. You know, all of us have things that have happened in our life that we wished would have been the opposite of the way it was. We have regrets. There, you know, 
Have you ever made a, a, a bold declaration that, that didn't work out so well? Has your mouth ever got you into trouble? Yeah, yeah. I know mine has. And I think about uh, these regrets because regrets can be very crippling. Regrets keep us tied to our failure so that we can't really pursue the great future that God promises us. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah, God said, I've got a future for you. But you know what? We get so tied to the things that, that we goofed up and we feel so bad about it, we regret it so much, we can't seem to leave it behind and go forward to, a, to the future that God has for us. So regret's a killer. And, uh, and I, sometimes those regrets often are very much connected to things we say. James says something that's really insightful. None of us would disagree with what James says. Here's what he says, James 3, verse 5 and 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Look at the damage that can happen from the things that come from our mouth. James, James gets it. And you know what I, I've kind of discovered is that almost all of my regrets begin with my mouth. Have you had that experience? I'll end up doing something, saying something, you know, but oftentimes my regrets are very much connected to this little tiny thing that is sitting between my teeth. And, and you'll say something or not say something, and now you feel bad about it. You regret it. And it keeps you awake at night. How many here have stayed awake at night reviewing over and over again something that you did or said that you wished was the opposite? Absolutely. Regrets. They're, they're very painful. Peter made a bold declaration. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will not. I will not. Jesus said, Peter, no, it's not going to be that way. Reality of it is before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have already denied me three times. Three times. The, they had just left the, the Mount of, the, excuse me, Jerusalem. They just finished their, what, what we describe as the Last Supper. And uh, Jesus, uh, at the Last Supper, sent Judas off to go do what Judas was going to do, that he was going to, to head out, and uh, Judas was going to uh, begin what would ultimately culminate in the crucifixion of Jesus. And so Jesus gets up with the rest of the guys, and he's going to make his way over to the Garden of Gethsemane that's at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. So you leave Jerusalem, the Mount of the, the, the Jerusalem, and you've got to go down the Kidron Valley and right it up, just barely up the base of the Mount of Olives. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's about a half a mile is all from where Jesus is having his last supper with these guys. Now, when Jesus gets to the garden, his intention is, is to pray. Because he knows that he is about ready to go through something absolutely brutal. When he gets to the garden and he starts praying, he's hoping the guys are praying also. He goes back and finds them sleeping. And he says, couldn't you guys just 
pray with me for an hour, you know, and, and then they fall asleep again. Well, before they get to that, between that event and the Last Supper, they make their journey down the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane. While they're on that little walk, Jesus says to them, he says, listen, fellas, tonight all of you will desert me. All of you. Because the scriptures say that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. And then I will rise again from the dead and then I'm going to go before you to Galilee. Now, when Peter heard that, Peter did not ever, didn't even think about it. He, did, he didn't think about the fact that Jesus said, I'll rise from the dead. It didn't even occur to him. Aaron, that's no problem at all. I hate to call you out because we love children and we love that little guy. So it's no problem at all. How many love children here? Yeah. How many of you have kids? Yeah. I got to This week, I got to tell you, I'm sorry for interrupting my sermon again. I got to tell you, this Wednesday, my fourth grandson and fifth grandchild will be born this Wednesday. It's incredible. It's incredible. His name is Cooper. Cooper Lee. Cooper. Cooper Lee Hebden. Uh, Wednesday is the day he's scheduled to arrive. We'll see if it happens. So, the deal is, is that on this little journey, Jesus says, hey, here's the reality of it. The, the, you guys are you're going you're gonna to all desert me. Peter said, no way. Uh, these guys might, but not me. I'll die if I have to have your back. I got your back, Jesus. Don't sweat it. I got your back. There is no way I will ever desert you. Then, just hours later, Jesus is getting arrested, brutally beaten, brutally punished, spat upon the whole deal. It is a chaotic, wild mess. And when Peter sees this, he is overwhelmed with what he sees happening to Jesus. And now all of a sudden, it's not that he didn't want to. He was absolutely sincere. He meant it. But he had no idea of the brutality the violence that was going to be brought against Jesus. He, he was shocked by what he saw. And when he saw the absolute brutality of what was happening to Jesus, he was so overwhelmed by it that he couldn't fulfill his words. He couldn't keep his word to Jesus. He was scared to death. He was shocked. And so, so he is out in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas's house. Jesus was taken into his prison down in the bottom of Caiaphas' house, the high priest. And out in front of Caiaphas' house, there's a, there's a little courtyard. <clears throat> you can actually go and stand in that very courtyard today. And, and he's out in that courtyard, and people are all over the place, and it's full of people, and they're all talking, and, they're, and Peter's hanging out because he's wondering, what in the world, what's going to happen? And he's, and, and he's thinking, what can I do? And, and he's just shocked by the whole thing. And suddenly, unexpectedly, he gets called out. A woman says to him, hey, aren't you one of his followers? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, 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 don't, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So he gets up, and, he, and just, just feet away is a gate that he would have walked through. And on the other side of the gate, there's still there's just 
people everywhere. He gets through the gate, and another, another lady calls him out and says, and says to a friend who's standing there, says, hey, that's, that's, one of, that's one of the followers of Jesus. He's one of Jesus' disciples. And, and Peter said, what are you talking about? I am not one of the followers of Jesus. I don't even know the man. I swear to it. I don't even know the man. And another person hears him calling this out. Another person says, oh, no, you know, he is. He is one of the followers of Jesus. I can tell by listening to him talk. Kind of brings about a sermon that I'm not even going to go to today. But would people know you're a follower of Jesus by listening to you talk? Can people tell that you follow Jesus? I don't know what's going on, but my pant leg keeps getting hooked up on my shoes, and it's killing me. So if you see me here, can I just roll these up? Will that just absolutely disturb your sense of creativity? Because I can't preach this way. So I'm really sorry. I don't want to lose the message. Stick with the message, but the pant legs are going up. All right, are you with me? Okay. Can people really tell who you are if you're a follower of Jesus by listening to you talk? You know, they did with Peter. And, Peter's, and Peter cussed this time. He's so upset that he might get found out. He cusses. And he says, no way. I don't even know the man. Don't even know the man. And suddenly, he hears a rooster crow. And when he hears the rooster crow... It, it absolutely devastates him because as soon as he hears the rooster crow, he remembers that Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh, no, I won't. No, I won't. I'll, I'm going to stand with you. Everybody else deserts you. I won't. I'm gonna, even if I die, I will stay with you. The rooster crows, and he knew that he had denied Jesus three times. Horrible, horrible feeling then comes upon him. He is devastated by his failure. <clears throat> he, he intended to be different. And as soon as Peter heard the rooster crow, he rushed out, he broke down, and he began to weep and cry hard because he failed. He thought he could stand, but he just couldn't. He failed. And he's devastated by it. But what did Peter do? Well, for, from the time that, that, that he left that scene until Jesus, after Jesus is crucified, we don't know what happened to Peter. There's, there's a period of time in there. We don't know what happened to Peter. We just don't hear about him anymore. But Jesus gets crucified. We know where John is. John's at the foot of the cross. Where is Peter? I can imagine Peter felt so much regret the horror of his failure that he ends up just kind of wandering around, hanging out, listening to what people are doing and saying, kind of paying attention, but around the fringe of it, he's devastated. He knows he failed. And it's just hard to re-engage what's going on in the Lord's life because he failed. There's a lot of people that way. Somewhere along the line, there's a failure in their life that prevents them from feeling confident to engage what God is doing. And they just kind of hang around the peripheral or they just stay away altogether. The, the, the Lord gets crucified and somewhere along the line, he hooks up with John because the Bible tells us that on Sunday morning early, 
John and Peter are somewhere together, the two of them. I, I'm thinking they're kind of commiserating together. Peter's saying, John may be saying, Peter, where were you? You know what? Oh, it's hard to even talk about John. I, I failed. You remember when I said, and, and I said, and, and, I, and exactly what he said, what happened, happened. I, I feel horrible, and I can't fix it. I, I wasn't there. I, I failed. And, and you know, What happened? Well, yeah, he car- they, had, they beat him. He carried his cross to, to Mount Calvary, and they, they nailed him there and put him up there, and John describes it all, and John said, hey, you know, and, and he looked down at me, and I'm standing there with his mother, and he said, hey, John, you got to take care of her now, and it was pretty rough. And Peter just feel, would feel all the worse. He would have just felt all the worse. We don't know exactly that it all went down that way, but it was probably something like that because Peter and John are together Sunday morning early, commiserating, when suddenly Mary Magdalene comes running in, found them, and said to him, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I just went to his tomb. The stone was rolled away, looked inside. He is not there. They took his body. What are we going to do? They took his body. Peter and John, they take off on a sprint. John must have been feeling pretty good about himself because John writes in John that the other guy, not Peter, but the other guy talking about himself, sprinted past Peter. So he must have been feeling pretty good about how he beat Peter in the race to the tomb. He sprints past Peter, gets to the tomb, but he's, he doesn't go in. He's, he's, he's feeling a lot of anxiety, and he kneels down. He just kind of looks in. Suddenly, he feels this wind come by him as Peter rushes past him and comes into the tomb, and there they find the tomb is empty. And, and the, the linen that he was wrapped in is neatly folded and laid there. Now, if it was the Romans or, or Herod's guys that would have taken Jesus, he wouldn't be, it wouldn't be neatly wrapped because they didn't care about him. They hated him. They would have just grabbed his body and ran off with it. They wouldn't have undressed him and neatly folded everything and put it there. They wouldn't have done that. If, if they would have left it there, they would have ripped it off of him and just thrown it in a pile there. It wasn't that at all. But the linen was neatly folded and laid where Jesus' body had been. Peter and John, they come out of there, and the Bible says that they believed. When they saw the empty empty tomb, John says, we believed. We believed. And what did they do having believed? The Bible says they went home. Where's home? Galilee. They left Jerusalem, and they went to Galilee. See, what happens is, is regret makes us default back to what we used to be, what we're we're most comfortable with. How many Christians, how many Christians who loved the Lord were somehow affected, impacted, wounded in some fashion in church somewhere, and now they don't go anymore because they're out there. It's, it's easy when you get, you get hurt, you get wounded, you live with regrets, just simply to default back to something that you once were comfortable with. It's not that you want to be that way, but it's just, you just don't know what else to do. <clears throat> you know, the definition of sin is I was just with a group of pastors, and, and one of them says, how do you define sin? 
And, uh, you know, the reason they ask these questions is because pastors are always trying to outsmart themselves with their theology, you know. So he says, what, how do you define sin? And he says, and I know it's not hitting the mark. I know it's supposed to be hitting, you know, don't hit the mark and all this stuff. And so they give all the definitions. But, but it occurs to me this. Jesus said, if, if you guys will just do two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. If you just love the Lord and you'll love others as yourself, you fulfill it all. So just love God and love people and you fulfill it all. So what is sin? Sin is any time we violate relationship either with God or with someone else in such way that it brings harm to that relationship and oftentimes to my good, but to the harm of either God or people. It's sin. So sometimes people sin against Jesus because they violate that relationship in such a way that somebody gets hurt by the actions or the words that we've taken. God gets, we sin against God when we violate his word and we behave like we don't know him and we don't care about him and we can live without him. We, we violate a relationship with him. It's what sin is. And sin tends to separate us from God. And inside the church, I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but even within the context of a church building, people sometimes can violate one another's relationships. Isn't that incredible? Who would thought of it that Christians can actually do or say something that harms another Christian or someone else? Does your mouth ever get you into trouble? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the result of that is, is that that violation creates a wound and somebody leaves. And now we have regrets. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Oh, I wish I would have done, not done that. I wish that, you know, and all of a sudden we have regrets. And regrets always cause people to default back to a former way of living. And it doesn't mean that they don't love the Lord by any means, but it, but it does mean that they... Uh, I'm sorry, these things unfolded on me and they're killing me. I, for those of you that are new today, just ignore the man that's preaching for a minute. I just keep getting stripped up. Regrets keep you focused on something back here, and so you go back there. You live there. Peter did that. He moved back. He, Peter went back to Galilee. And when he goes back to Galilee, then what happens is, is there comes a day when Jesus shows up. So from the time that, uh, the, you know, from the time that he is last having any dealings with Jesus at all, from Jesus getting crucified, there's this period of time that, that he has no contact, but he believes. So he goes back, he gets in his boat, and he's, he's fishing He's got some of the other disciples with him. He's back there. Do you know regrets are pretty miserable? Do you know there's, there's a couple of wrong ways to deal with regret? Wrong way number one is this, drown in regret. Just drown in it. You just kind of get uh, this, the, the flood just kind of regret just fills your heart and overwhelms you. And now you're just overwhelmed with regret. And, and you can't even think. You can't. It keeps you awake at night. It bugs you. It chases you. It, and then you have 
situations come up that makes you think about those regrets and you just can't even really begin to put your arms around the future God has for you because you're so filled with regret it just you drown in it it's that's not a way to deal with it wrong way number two just try and ignore it just try and ignore it the incredible thing is is that that you discover it's not very easy to ignore it just keeps creeping back in and you, you, if you try and ignore it, it's going to come up, and it always affects you. It makes you feel bad about yourself, so that you can't really do anything. I can't pray any for anybody. I haven't been in church for years. I can't pray for anybody. This happened back there, and, you know, I regret some of the things. It wasn't all my fault, but I got all these regrets, and I just, you know, I can't pray. God won't hear me. And you have all these, these things that come up. I, I can't help somebody. I can't give a testimony. I can't share the Lord with people I work with. I, I, I'm not a, I, I got too many things I've fouled up on. See, those failures keep you from moving forward. For Peter, his failure is what he was focused on rather than the future that God had for him. We tend to do that. It's far better to face our failures at the cross with Jesus than to ignore them. So Peter goes to he goes to Galilee. He's in a boat. He's fishing. He's got he's got James and John there. I think Andrew was with him. Thomas was there. Nathaniel. A bunch of them were there in the boats fishing. They just gone back to the old life. They're fishing. They fish all night. And then they hear they hear a voice out on the shore. It says, hey, you guys got any food out there? And uh, they, they said, no, nope, no. Nope. We fished all night, didn't catch anything. And the guy on the shore says, well, throw your nets on the other side. And they kind of look at each other like, does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like... And they throw the nets on the other side and they start catching fish like crazy. And John says to Peter, Peter, you know who that is, don't you? That's Jesus. Peter gets up, jumps in the water, starts swimming to shore. The other guys are trying to row the boats to shore. They're dragging the fish in the nets. Peter gets to shore, but he doesn't talk to Jesus. It's too awkward. Have you ever had an awkward moment with somebody because you regret something? It's too awkward. He doesn't really say anything. So he, he's, he's probably standing on the shore there, and he sees Jesus and, you know, come on, guys, come on. Come on, guys. And they finally get up to the shore. He grabs the net. He's pulling the fish up on the shore. Jesus says, hey, you know, grab one of them fish. Let's have some breakfast. He, they cook up the, the, the fish. Jesus gives them some bread. If you read the story in John, nobody's really talking. The Bible even says the guys don't really know what to say. It's just an awkward time. They're sitting around. Peter doesn't know what to say. He's feeling the pain of regret. And finally, they get done eating, and Jesus then speaks up, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? I'm thinking inside, Peter's saying, oh, no, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, Lord, I love you. Good. Feed my sheep. See, Pete, Jesus is focusing him this way. He's still looking back this way. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Man, Lord, do you know? Rub it raw. Rub it raw. You know? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep, will you? Peter, do you love me? 
Oh, come on. Yeah, you know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. See, what's Jesus doing? He's focusing Peter forward when Peter gets stuck back here looking at his failure. Failures keep us looking backwards when Jesus wants us embracing the future, a good future that God has for us. Because guess what? All your failures, everything you regret, he paid for on the cross. He paid for it. And we can wallow in it or we can say, I recognize you paid for it. Thank you. You know, there's, there's uh, the problem with, with our failures is that they keep us from being able to really embrace the future God has for us. James Garfield, our 20th president of the United States, he was once asked by a friend of his, he said, his friend said, how can I get my son to succeed more? Garfield's answer to him was, I suggest you get him to increase his rate of failure. How can I get my son to succeed more? Well, get him to increase his rate of failure. Now, why would you say that? Because you see, faith is risky business. If I say, I believe God heals, and then I pray for you, and you don't get healed, mud on my face, mud on God's face, at least we think that way. If I say that something related to God and it doesn't come about, or if I say I'm the man of God, then I falter, I fail some way, I trip over myself, I say something stupid, you know, all that stuff, it really messes with the confidence we have to risk something in the future. I'm not praying for him, you pray for him. I know what happens when I pray for him, you know, and by the way, I don't really look like a very good Christian. I think somebody that looks like a better Christian than me ought to pray for him. You know, I can't talk to him about Jesus. They know me. They've heard my mouth. I can't talk to him about Jesus. And suddenly, we can't embrace the future God has for us because we're so stuck in the past. Faith requires us to risk something. That means you're going to have failure. The failure is not the issue. Is can we learn from it? So here's the, here's the observation. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. See, if you go to the cross with it and you say, Jesus, here it is, and you confront it and you say, I goofed up, you can learn from it and it can propel you to the future that God has for you because all of us have sinned. Every one of us. I've fouled up all kinds of things. But God helps us to learn from that. Mother Teresa, she once said this, if you want to learn humility, you have to be willing to be humiliated. Seriously? I never wanted humility. It's overrated. <laughs> Who wants that stuff? You know? Who wants that? If you want to learn humility, you've got, you got to be willing to be humiliated. If you're going to, to want something better in the Lord, you have to experience back here these failures. You learn from them. You risk forward. But I know I failed, but God will help me to be stronger in the future. How do I look forward? Insight number one. Start with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry a good place to start. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 and 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. 
such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm. Saying, look, godly sorrow, it can help you. It can benefit you. You can learn. When you have a regret back there, if you learn from it and say, I am sorry, and you mean that, I really am sorry. God, I am sorry. Person I offended, I am sorry. When you do that, that is the first step to letting your regrets become a lesson that propel you to a better future. And it's at the cross. Jesus made that possible. Jesus made it possible that we could be liberated from the things that bind us up in regrets. One person who experienced uh, the freedom of saying, I am sorry, and finding forgiveness, wrote this. Now that my past is erased, I feel the healing. I found the meaning of grace. I'm not what I have done. I'm what I've overcome. That's incredible. You think about it. You are not what you did back here. You are what helped you to overcome what you did back there. That's, that's grace working in us through what Jesus did at the cross. He paid for our debt. And now I say, I am sorry. Lord, I am sorry I fouled up. I'm sorry I goofed that up. I am sorry. And when you hurt somebody else and you foul up somebody else's life, you say, I'm sorry. Johnny, I am sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Johnny, I'm sorry. I did. I, I, maybe I even meant to, but I realized I was wrong and I'm sorry. You just say it. And you get it out there. You know what you'll discover about Christians? They're some of the most forgiving people in the world. We have a lot of failures. We have a lot of faults. We're also some of the most self-righteous, stinky attitude people in the world too because we think we know it all. You know, reality is, but we're also some of the most forgiving people in the world. We take I am sorry seriously, and it's the beginning of being broken from the regrets. Insight number two, start giving back. Start giving back. When you, when you look backwards, what you discover is, is that you say I'm, I'm forgiven, you start giving. Jesus was at a house. He was, he was eating in the house of a religious leader, a Pharisee, they're called. He's there, and this woman comes, and the woman is well-known around town. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew this woman, a sinner. And most likely, it meant she was a prostitute. She comes in. She is bawling her eyes out. She comes to Jesus, and her tears, there's so much tears falling that she, it wets the feet of Jesus. She takes her hair, and she wipes his feet and cleans up his feet, and she takes this, this very expensive perfume that makes her attractive to all the guys when she's doing her business out there as a prostitute. She takes this very expensive perfume. She pours it on the feet of Jesus. She wipes his feet with it, cleans him up. And, and all the while this is going on, the Pharisee, the religious person, this narrow-minded, self-righteous guy, is sitting there thinking to himself, he can't be a prophet. If he was really a prophet, he would know that this woman here is a horrible sinner. Everybody knows it. And if he knew this woman the way everybody around town knows this woman, 
He wouldn't let this woman touch him if he's the righteous man he claims to be. Wouldn't let him. Jesus, he knows what the man's thinking. Here's, here's the scary news. Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. Every thought, he knows what you're thinking. He knew what this man was thinking, so he calls the man out. Luke chapter 7, verse 47 in the New Living Translation. Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, yeah, they are many. They've been forgiven so that she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven shows only a little love. Jesus says, a person who has a big old pile of regrets, huge amount of regrets, and is forgiven those, man, they give a tremendous amount of love out because they know how much they've been forgiven. A person who doesn't think they had much to be forgiven of, yeah, I was a pretty good guy, a pretty righteous guy, just a, little, ah, just a little trip up here and there, no big deal. They, they don't know how much they were forgiven, and so they just kind of ignore that, and they don't really give much back. But a person who has a tremendous burden of guilt and of regret, that person gives much love because they received much forgiveness. See, we, we give. First thing you do, if you want to get rid of your regrets and those regrets just be lessons that propel you, I'm sorry. The second thing is, is you say, hey, I, uh, I'm going to start doing something to bless somebody else. I'm going to look for ways in which I can bless someone you, you love. We have some folks that want to get baptized. James, are they up and running back there now? Okay. We got some folks that are going to get baptized. And hopefully on the screen here, you'll see the first one in the pool. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to uh, pray for uh, the first one in the pool. And I believe, let's see, Nathan, is he there? Can they hear me, James? Are they, can we get, is James, Nathan, can you hear me, Nathan? Nathan, if you love Jesus, raise your hand. Awesome. We're going to pray for Nathan and the others getting baptized. Now, the reason they're getting baptized is because of this realization that there's a part of, of life that needs to be buried with Jesus, forgiven, died all the things that will be regretful in life, and let the Lord begin to move us forward. Water baptism is one of the ways in which we say clearly to everybody, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And even in Nathan's age... It's a good age to start saying, I'm sorry, is it not? And he says, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. We're going to pray for him and for all the others, and then I'm going to say the words, Nathan, and then Isaac's going to baptize you. You ready? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for Nathan and for all of those that are getting baptized today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, your presence, your spirit would be upon him and those being baptized today, that, Lord, they can walk in the power of your forgiveness and love. We thank you, Lord, for this testimony they make today in water baptism, that they love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Nathan, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father. Isaac actually baptizes you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, Nathan. Hallelujah for Jesus. Coming down into the pool. Amira Davis is coming. And uh, again... She loves Jesus. Amira, if you love Jesus, lift your hand so we can see it.
Lift. Amen. Amira, you know Jesus loves you too, right? Are you getting ready to go down already? All right. Okay, here we go. Because you believe in Jesus, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaac now baptizes you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, Amira. Amen. Hallelujah. It's to see folks respond to the grace of Jesus, accept him as Lord and Savior. Joe Gable. Joe. I don't know if all of you knew this or not, but Joe is in a movie that's going to be coming out. He'll be on the big screen. Won't you, Joe? (laughs) Okay. Joe is in an incredible movie, and so you might watch for him. We have a movie star in our midst. Joe, do you love Jesus? Lift your hand if you love Jesus. Amen. All right. Joe, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaac now baptizes you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good job, Joe. We love you. Amen. Quint. Quint Granger. You'll see Quint up here sometimes playing the guitar. Quint, we really appreciate your helping out and you're doing that. Quint loves the Lord. Quint, do you love the Lord Jesus? Lift your hand if you love Jesus. You do. Amen. Amen. Quint, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaac now baptizes you in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Quint. It's it's a great thing to begin to take steps that says, I'm sorry, and I want Jesus in my life. You throw out all the nonsense that's, that all this, you know, Christianity is a big long list of do's and don'ts. Throw that out. Jesus said, if you just do two things, love God and love people, you're okay. You're going to make it. You'll do fine. Just be thoughtful about how you love people. Just be thoughtful about how you love God. What does that mean? What does it look like? How does that work out in your life? And if you will just love him and you love people, God will help you. But you begin by saying, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry. You don't have to go up and get wet this morning to prove that. But you can lift your hand in just a moment and say, I need Jesus in my life. I want all the regrets to be behind me. I want to say, Lord, forgive me. And he will. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you've got a lot of regrets in your life. Your life is filled with regret. And you need to say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then I just want to invite you to just lift your hand. We're not going to do anything weird. Just, just right where you're at, just lift your hand and say, Jesus, I, I know I got some regrets. I need to get rid of those. Amen. You can put your hand down. He sees it. He knows it. He loves you. He paid for it at the cross. And and the first thing is we just simply say, I'm sorry. And then when you move forward from that, just be thoughtful, be sensitive. Think about how, how it is that maybe you can be a blessing to someone else. 
Don't wallow in the grief and the misery of things that went wrong. Start doing something. Do something that blesses them. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe bring an extra sandwich for that guy that seems to never have a sandwich. Maybe you just help your neighbor who, God forbid, the snow comes and you have to help shovel it out a little bit. You know, uh, just, just respond to people. Find a place that you can do something good for someone else. Start giving out and regrets will melt away. You will learn from them and you can be a blessing. Father, you've seen the hands that have been raised today. Lord, you know how these regrets impact our lives. We need you. We need you. These folks who got baptized today are giving a public demonstration to say, I'm dying to my old ways, to those regrets, to the things gone wrong, and I'm looking forward to a new life in you. Lord, bless them and help them that they can live for you without stumbling. And for all of us, Lord, for every person who says, I need you, Jesus, in my life, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, would you do that today and help them, Lord, get back where they should be in you. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the bottom of your notes says, next step, next step. This week, I'm going to apologize to God. And if you need to write someone else's name in there, write that name in and talk to them. I also am going to bless someone by doing this. Find somebody to bless. Give out. Start doing something. Feed my sheep, the Lord said. Don't get stuck in your past. Start going to the future. And God will help you overcome the burden of the regrets. Hallelujah for Jesus. Amen? Stand with the worship team, would you?